Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Before we begin, Lewis, guess what? What, Dan? 46 people are now on our Patreon giving $261 a month, which is fantastic. Our running costs, though, are about $1,000 a month. I did not know my mum had 45 friends. <laughs> well, we've got, got some really good news. Uh, well, it's, the way I figure it is, the sooner more people can chip in, the more we can pay Anthony Scaramucci to do a Cameo shout-out to us on Cameo. He's selling them for 50 bucks. Oh, wow. I, will not be a part of an organisation that gives Scaramucci any money. <laughs> uh, new scaremongers this week, Jasper Tree, Beck Dunn, thank you, and someone who's now our number one Patreon subscriber, Ash McGrath. Ash is a triple scaremonger. They signed up three times the normal amount. To them, we are three times as more valuable as Netflix, Lewis. God damn, that's amazing. And I um, will be willing to... Uh, have a lot of tigers if that will keep things interesting for you on Netflix. <laughs> on I know we're on Netflix. Yeah, that's a, the tiger show. That's right. Extend a real patronising explaining of that <laughs> reference. I'm recording my end of a rational fear on the land of the Gadigal in the urination. Sovereignty was never ceded. Let's start the show. A rational fear contains naughty words like Brexit, Canberra, fair dumb, and Section 44. A rational fear recommends listening by immature audiences. Tonight, rugby league is set to return in two weeks' time because nothing says social distancing like a contact sport. And the price of oil has gone negative. Angus Taylor has created a strategic oil supply for Australia that's conveniently 13,000 kilometres away in Texas. And after arriving in Perth from an overseas trip, billionaire owner of Channel 7, Kerry Stokes, has been granted an exception from quarantine rules on compassionate grounds, with authorities saying just because he owns Sunrise doesn't mean he should be stuck in a hotel and be forced to watch it. Only four more weeks until we can lick our baristas. It's time for Irrational Fear. Irrational Fear! Welcome to Rational Fear, or as we're thinking of renaming the show, Laugh Keeper. It's a working title. I'm your host, Dan Illich, and let's meet our fear mongers for tonight. She's the Walkley award-winning host of Podcast One's new daily news podcast, The Briefing. Her Instagram outfits may be secondhand, but her opinions aren't. It's Jan Fran. Hey, thanks for having me, Daniel. And she's the Walkley Award-winning cartoonist at large at Sydney Morning Herald. She's a tongue as sharp as her pencil. It's Cathy Wilcox. Possibly spinach between my teeth. <laughs> and it's the Walkley Award-watching once by accident, Lewis Hover. I would never. I want stricken from the record. I would never watch the Walkley Award. I said once by accident. Oh, yeah, that's true. (laughs) And coming up on the show, Alan Jones has some questions about bats and we chat with Steve Keane, a maverick economist who loves a crash, stand-up comedy from Prue Blake, a comedian who loves to kill. But first, a message from this week's sponsor. Are you a politician at the top of your power structure but finding checks and balances are getting in the way? Are the norms of democracy preventing you from manifesting your legacy? Are you finding that a Senate House of Representatives are too interested in what the average Joe in the street needs? 
Then try authoritarianism. Authoritarianism allows you to do what you want most of the time. And better still, your wishes can come to fruition with the power of the entire apparatus of the state at your fingertips. So, build that palace, start that war, tweet like sanctions can't hurt you, and make journalists and nemeses simply disappear. Authoritarianism. Democracy is just an imaginary social construct anyway. Use the offer code emergency powers to enshrine your narrative as a saviour. Oh, it's great to have uh, the Turkish government supporting us this week. First fear tonight. Well, it is Earth Week, which means uh, the price of oil has gone negative. And better still, you can get $20 to look after a barrel of oil. Uh, I know most of us are Sydney siders, and I've been to Jan's house and Lewis's house. Uh, I don't know where you would be able to put a, a barrel of oil, you guys. Do you, where would you put a barrel of oil? I think I would get rid of the um, the dog I've adopted. I, I adopted an old greyhound and I would um, put it on the street and replace it with cute, cute oil. Yeah, you could probably fit about two barrels for the size of like a greyhound, maybe three. Mm. Uh, Kathy, I-, I don't want to cast dispersions upon you, but I assume you're a person uh, who has grown up in a different generation to us and can probably afford a proper home. What would you do with barrels of oil? <laughs> Well, I think there's a bit of spare space on the shelves in supermarkets, actually, where toilet paper used to go. I think you could fit a fair few barrels there for a start. And, um, and then we've got a little bit of room beside the, uh, beside the wine downstairs in the cellar. Um, that'd be okay. Aged oil is particularly good, isn't it? You, it it's really good. Like at a dinner party, it'd bring out the best stuff, the breast unleaded you've got. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, the, the the crudest of crude, the grand cru, if you like, and... Uh... That's right. I'm just insane. You have a cellar, Kathy. <laughs> well, look, it's the part of the house. Furious. It's the part of the house which, when they build on a on a slopey block, they have to do something with, but they can't totally waterproof it. So they call it a cellar, and there's a door to it, but you don't put anything precious in there that isn't um that, that is permeable because that will end up being either eaten by rodents or that sounds or, like a water damage boomer story to me <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be huge boomer moves when crudite is out and crude is is in to start a meal but also like another like strong boomer move i feel like could be like there's no um because airbnb is abandoned at the moment there's yeah. like a huge glut of airbnb and idea. maybe we could just rent out airbnbs to barrels of crude <laughs> <laughs> I put a bunch of barrels of crude in the massive freezer that my husband bought specifically to store food during this pandemic. If I was running a bank vault in South Australia, I would get rid of all the barrels of bodies and put crude (laughs) in there because at least, you know, you're getting paid to look after that. Do you have to keep it cool? Does it matter if it gets a little warm? Well, the bodies, yes, you do have to keep them cool. Yeah, yeah. No, the, the oil I'm thinking of, the oil. Now, here's something. 160 million barrels of excess crude are now being stored on ships. Some of these are on super tankers that hold up to 2 million barrels each, and there's some real money to be made. $350,000 US a day to charter a super tanker. 350000 US a day. How do you folks feel about knowing that there are all these super tankers just bobbing about the ocean with that much to do? Lewis? Oh, I mean, any uh, any ship on the ocean at the moment, I think, um, should be filled with cruise passengers. I think any uh, <laughs> any ship out there at the moment, like let's, if there's a, are there are some there, I believe there are some recently vacated rooms in the Ruby Princess. Let's turn that into a tanker. Let's chuck a <laughs> chuck a few barrels in the buffet. 
I live at Bondi Beach and there are some British backpackers that lather up in so much sunscreen, they look like barrels of oil. (laughs) Uh, Usually Australia only has about 20 days of oil in reserve at any given point in time, which is way below the 90-day minimum uh, that countries should have in reserve. Angus Taylor, a man for knowing how to shift his liquids offshore, has now (laughs) offshored our oil. He's done a deal with the USA to store oil for Australia in Texas. Fearmongers, Jan, let me ask you this. How is this strategic? Oh, look, I reckon if we need to get the oil back, just pop it on Kerry Strokes' private jet and fly right (laughs) in, no questions asked. You know, I think that's what Angus Taylor was thinking when he made the decision, and good on him. It's the right one. I saw that um, Virgin, uh, uh, all all airlines actually, are going to get rid of middle seats. Um, So maybe every flight from the States back to Australia could just have a barrel of oil in the middle seat. (laughs) And it would be called Extra Virgin. (laughs) <laughs> oh, 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 we can do we know why that we know why she's one of Walkley now. That's right. Let's wrap this up. Let's get out on top. <laughs> Kathy is asked specifically to talk about America. Now America is going through a strange moment at the moment, with hundreds of Tea Party and right-wing Trump loyalists taken to the streets in many Democrat-run states protesting stay-at-home laws. The whole liberty thing they have in their constitution is really confounding for America for many Americans. I don't think the founding fathers who to design the US Constitution to combat a monarchy that suppressed and taxed a population for 175 years, thought that it would ever, ever be designed to stop Americans from going to the baseball for a couple of months. Uh, Kathy, is America robust to handle this coronavirus crisis? It, well, the only hope, I think, is that the, uh, the people who are defending the uh, open up all these states are are going to succumb perhaps and then that might, you know, change the the face of America's democracy. But, no, I don't feel that they're uh, very robust at all. I feel like they're heading for a big fall. But then again, they obviously have have spare enough population that they can afford to lose (laughs) about 40,000 people every year anyway on the strength of the freedom to uh, use guns and so forth. So another 40,000 with a virus, it's not really going to make a whole lot of difference. And perhaps, in fact, this year the, um, the, 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 the virus deaths will just replace the gun deaths because people won't be out doing so much shooting in the street. So, yeah. I mean, it's... A- Apparently, like, March was the first month in about 10 years there hasn't been a mass shooting in America. Yeah. Do you know, every time I think of America sometimes, do you know the upside down from Stranger Things <laughs> where it looks like the reality that you're living in but it's just like flipped upside down and it's just a little bit darker and you're like, this is familiar but also this is terrifying. Is That's what I think of when I think when I see America and, on the news. And that experience is the exact experience you get when you land at JFK Airport as an Australian for the first time in America. You have this vision of America as one thing and you land in America and you see the crumbling infrastructure and the people with guns and you're like, where the fuck am I? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's sort of like not to, you know, not to bring the mood down, but it's sort of just it's this country that's that's built on this like rampant individualism where it's like I should have the freedom to do what I want at all times, which is just not conducive to a global pandemic. It's just not. It's absolutely fine if you're a virus. It's perfect conditions. <laughs> right, it's great for the virus, bad for everyone else. Yeah. And that's why it started in China, the home of personal freedom. <laughs> Irrational fear. Once it was... 
reluctantly aroused. It was hard to get it aroused, and it is hard to get it aroused, but we got it aroused. This is a rational fear. The mayor of Las Vegas went on CNN this week to lobby for the lifting of stay-at-home restrictions in Nevada, a state that's currently run by Democrats. Uh, now, as I play this, she was on CNN talking to Anderson Cooper. I want to yell out, I want you to yell out, hang on a sec, and jump in with your thoughts. Uh, if you hear anything you want to comment on. All right, let's play. Hang on a sec. Every one of those lives is a tragic loss. But when you count 150 versus 2.3 million, you have to say, okay. we have to open up. We have to right. go back. Our bus drivers, our But hasn't cleaners, it been because of social distancing that the numbers have been what they are? How do you know until we have a control group? We offer to be a control group. Whoa, okay. hang on a sec. I, she, she's literally just saying we won't know until I try to kill a bunch of people. <laughs> it's Las Vegas, mate. You got to gamble with something. Want to gamble <laughs> with people's lives? <laughs> Here we go. About statistics, knows that, for instance, you have a vaccine. You're, you're offering you the, real the citizens of Las Vegas to be a control group to see if your I theory on social distancing no, works no, no, or doesn't no, work. Wrong. Absolutely wrong. Don't put words. Hang on a sec. I just need to clarify, is she upset that it was turned down when she offered her people to be a control group? Because she sounds like she was upset that someone went, hang on a sec, I don't think that's a great idea. Hang on, it gets gets crazier. (laughs) So hang on there, your answer is coming. I'm out. You just said said we'll be a control group. Excuse me, what I said was, I offered to be a control group, and I was told by our statistician you can't do that because people from all parts of southern Nevada come in to work in the city. And I said, oh, that's too bad because I know when you have a disease, you have a placebo that gets the water and the sugar, and then you get those that actually— Hang on a sec. I'm sorry, you have a what that gets the what when you have a disease? You have a placebo. A placebo. That gets the water and the sugar. Yeah, yeah. Does she, I don't, she fundamentally misunderstands medical testing. Like, does she? I, does she, well, she, 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 does she does, yeah, does she have a, a, a placebo coronavirus? <laughs> We get the shot. We would love to be that placebo side so you have something to measure against. So all you, the data and you want to get the placebo. You don't want to get the actual. One of the group who gets the placebo, by the way, usually gets the short end of the stick. Um, well, you don't know. How do you know when no, you? No, part- hang on a sec. You know, hundred <laughs> percent. No, that's. That's all the time. That's if you're so- in like a cancer trial and you're like, <laughs> you're like, don't give me the, don't, I'm not here to get the placebo. Give me the thing that works. Let that me just group, say, you are- Mayor, Mayor <laughs> if, if you, if casinos reopen, are you going to be inside those casinos every single night putting your own life on the line? Hang on a sec. I- <laughs> I'm not going to believe this is really working unless they actually put people in cages 
and there are some little wheels for them to run around in while they're being experimented on. I think that's the only thing that's going to give proper credibility to this whole experiment. I think I know why they're needing to offer um, human trials. It's because, remember a few weeks ago, all those baboons escaped from the <laughs> Sydney hospital? There's, there's only Las Vegas residents left. It's Lived the closest they camp. could find to baboons. So hang on a sec. She is arguing against government intervention with the lockdown but is all for government intervention to give none of her citizens any kind of Protection. drug in order to go back to work. No, she's not even talking about drugs. She's just She is just talking about lifting restrictions so people can go back to work. She's not even talking about a vaccine. She wants Las Vegas to be the experiment of what would happen if everyone could just go back to work and see what, maybe we could run this experiment. That is really altruistic of her. I think it's a really, really kind thing. And I think there are a few commentators in, in Australia who've written, written columns about how we should do that too. And and to have to put forward that idea and also to offer to be the 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 group or a part of the group that go, that um that is experimented upon i think that's very very generous of them and it's we would all right. love to stand back and watch <laughs> six question. years are you going to go and to the casinos no, no, no. every night and put your life on the line no, like I, all the workers I, you say I've you were there in holding town, their hands so i uh, they don't need it. We weren't broken. We as tragically have 150 people we lost. Tragic. We have 2.3 million people yeah. here. I haven't heard and you say yes that you would be sitting on those casino floors every night along with the people that you say you are holding their hands with. What, what is the purpose of that? First of all, I have a family. Because it would be putting on people it. without families. <laughs> Who does she think, like, doesn't have a family? What, what, yeah. like, where does she think people are born? Who the hell does she, like, do they just sure. find these weird orphan James Bond-esque children to work the casino floor? <laughs> Do you know that your elevator in which you're riding won't crash to the ground? You don't know. Your fear is rational. We don't want to lose anybody, but it's part of life. Uh, and the final fear tonight, cruise ships are floating Petri dishes with limitless buffet diseases on offer. Despite multiple outbreaks of COVID-19 on cruise ships in 2020, Bookings for cruises are already on the rise. In the past 45 days, some cruise companies have seen 40% increase for their 2021 bookings over their 2019 bookings. Jan, which ocean-bound cesspit are you planning for your next holiday? <laughs> you know what? I'm just going to fill an old dinghy that I've got with some bin juice and just set sail and see what happens because that is my safest option at the moment. <laughs> At this point, like, um, cruise ships are just legalised euthanasia. <laughs> yeah. With stand-up comedy and, uh, and show tunes. But it's yeah. so funny because I had read that story and then I just got, like, really into cruise ships. So I started Googling and YouTubing all these You have booked, haven't you? You've booked. I'm almost booked. That's the thing. I've never been on a cruise ship and I thought I would never go on a cruise ship. And even in the midst of corona, I'm looking up cruise ships and I'm like, you know, I could go yeah, that buffet fine. Yeah. quietly. I would enjoy that. I would enjoy 80s night on a cruise. Coming I up, stand-up comedy from Prue Blake and Alan Jones gives us some thoughts on flying foxes. But right now, with many economists in the media suggesting that coronavirus bailouts and welfare programs may cause hyperinflation and another financial crisis, our next guest isn't concerned at all. It's the always chilled out Professor Steve Keen. Yeah. 
Hi all. How are you, Steve? I understand you're chilling out in Thailand right now? Yeah, I had a choice of four countries I could have stayed in, and Australia was one of them. And uh, I was looking at the stats and saw all those incredible blowout in numbers in the Netherlands and UK and thought, <laughs> I'm out of here. Uh, my partner's Thai, so we're now in southern Thailand, where it is extremely hard not to get masks. Uh, in fact, this is our current collection. <laughs> you, part uh, of it. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Are you goading um, us with your masks? And, <laughs> yeah, this, you're like the yeah, Scrooge and McDuck and of masks. The gel and alcohol. I mean, you can get all sorts of sizes. If you're really desperate, you can go for the big ones, but that's actually been pretty modest. Some would consider this ghost, Steve. Okay. So, uh, we're going to move this off my keyboard here. This is Um, the great kind of visual content. This is why I moved to Thailand. What's happening now for the podcast listeners, on the video stream, uh, Steve is is teasing us with all of his supplies and PPE. You can only get that if you become a Patreon subscriber at patreon.com forward slash Irrational (laughs) Fear. Now, Steve, it was such a it was so good last year. You came on the podcast and you were basically goading the Liberals to government because you thought this was during the election because you thought you had a hunch that they would have to face a gigantic economic disaster and finally put the put to rest the bullshit ideology of having a surplus. Did you think that the disaster would ever look something like this, or that the Liberals would turn into such a bunch of socialists? No, no there's a to- no. No way am I going to call this. I mean, I'm, I'm expecting a global a global warming catastrophes because I've been reading the work of people like William Nordhaus as the asshole who was given the Nobel Prize in 2018 for pulling the wool over everybody's eyes and pretending it's going to be trivial. So I knew that's garbage and I knew something awful was coming along. But the fact that it was coronavirus, I had someone in that. I read a book 26 years ago called The Coming Plague by a woman called Laurie Garrett. It was the New York Times medical correspondent, so I knew there was inevitably going to be a, corona, you know, a crisis like this. But the fact that it happened in 2020 on Scott Morrison's watch, that was to me a total surprise. Uh, when you say total surprise, do you mean uh, a delicious treat? Ugh. Well, the funny thing is, I mean, probably, this is one of the weird things about incumbency. Even if you stuff around like Donald Trump, you finally end up getting an increase in your vote because, gee, you're the person with the controls. And when you finally do what's necessary by panic, you get some credence for it. So I've got a feeling more often actually benefit out of this bloody thing. The only um, bonus I have out of that is that Al- Albanese is looking pretty damn weak before this damn thing happened and the Liberal Labor Party was coming out in favour of continuing to mine coal and so on. So I think basically a pox on right. both their houses. Uh, what, what is going on right now around the world and how, how are the governments doing economic-wise in terms of... No, oh, this, this, is, this is the classic as America, of course, because uh, they're completely, you know, everything. It's, what they mean by you know, individual liberty is everybody, everybody for themselves. And if you look at the uh, the change in unemployment in the states, the normal uh, number of people who register for unemployment for the first time in a week is about roughly about 200,000 normally. When this thing hit, the first week was 3.8 million. Then it was 6 million the next two weeks. So you look like you're going to go from unemployment of about 3 or 4%, which is historically very low in the states, to about 20 over one month. And this is just unprecedented. There's, I could even call it unprecedented if I used <laughs> Donald Trump's pronunciation. Um, there's never been a crisis coming this way. And normally you have a financial crisis causing the real economy to slump. This is the other way around. The real economy has basically had its, its, its legs cut off from under, un, underneath it. And now there'll be a financial crisis on top of that. And there's, that's what I see the real danger. There's, the countries that are going to suffer most are the ones that do the least. And America is doing the least right now. And when you're talking about those kind of financial crises, in your mind, when was the next financial crisis? The next one I expect would be Australia and Canada and all the countries that sidestepped the crisis in 2008 by encouraging the household sectors to borrow like bloody crazy and buy houses and drive the house prices up. 
So I was expecting that's what I thought um, Morrison would walk yeah. into. But because there was such a surprise that he won the election, what did people do? They dive back into borrowing money for houses once more. Um, so that was going on, you know, absolutely gangbusters again. The bubble was restarted. And I basically thought, give up. I mean, this country, is Australia, is dedicated to having houses and holes and nothing else, no manufacturing sector, no no education sector worth, worth, worthy of the name, um, no technological capability. And bang, it's very happy. And then bang, the coronavirus comes along. And now I think that's a wake-up call. You haven't got the manufacturing capability to make masks, for God's sake. Um, you know, you, 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 all, all the manufacturers have been offshored. And who's going to get stuff from offshore in the future? You're going to have to have domestic production. So all the mistakes that have been made so far, now they're coming home to roost. Do you think there are going to be lasting uh, positive economic changes from this structurally? Yeah, in one sense, the whole obsession with what the economists call comparative advantage was a con job by David Ricardo, who, by the way, was a con man. And those who don't know that, he- hang, on, hang on, hang on. Is part of being an economist just slamming other <laughs> yeah. economists? Yeah, this is like, this is more bitchy <laughs> than Malcolm Turnbull's biography. Yeah. Slam me so I could even on comedy shows. And the David Ricardo, <laughs> Ricardo I just want to get was more dirt on economists from Professor yeah. Steve. That's, I want the tea, Steve. Yeah, XOXO. Dirt on David Ricardo. David, dirt on David Ricardo. Um, in, he, he had a runner at the Battle of Waterloo. He was a stockbroker in, in the London stock market, had a runner at the Battle of Waterloo, saw who won. The runner, you know, crosses the country, hops on a boat, comes across London, tells Ricardo the result. And Ricardo theatrically walks out onto the stage of the London Stock Exchange and says, sell! And suddenly everybody panic. Oh, my God, we must have lost the Battle of Waterloo. So there's panic selling. Five Half an hour later, Ricardo comes out and says, buy. <laughs> and he literally, according to the according to the newspapers of the day, he made a million pound profit on that day. Oh my god! And was forced to leave the, the financial sector and, and go to some country retreat. So he's a con man, and he sold the con idea of comparative advantage that you should all specialise in what you've got an advantage in. Bullshit. This is the advantage that uh, Australia has: natural resources, yeah, coal. Yeah. It's a bullshit stuff like that. Yeah. It's been a it's a bullshit theory, but it's actually made us we, we exploited low wages until such time as those wages stopped being low. But there's no manufacturing capability left in Australia anymore. And for, there there aren't there aren't any coal miners anywhere around the world that are earning one hundred and eighty thousand dollars a day a year, are there? Well, maybe more. Uh, but yeah, so there's going to be a relocation of production. You're going to go back to domestically oriented production, self sufficiency, and more emphasis upon resilience rather than this mythical idea of efficiency. So that's good, but. Uh, and also the fact that oil has been destroyed, it may be we don't go back to a large amount of oil uh, usage anymore because once you put a cap on those damn uh, wells, it's very hard to take them off again. Let's take advantage of that and reduce our oil consumption and, and accelerate the move towards less carbon in our economy. This is the whole thing that we spoke about last week on Irrational Fear with the fake IPI, uh, IPA ad is that is that with oil going off a cliff, that those assets could effectively become stranded assets and that, that the government could come in and, and nationalise several oil providers. Do you, do you see that happening at all? Yeah, I do at some point, not so much out of the coronavirus, but after what's going to come along, which I think will make the coronavirus look like a picnic. And so at some point we're going to say, that's it, no more coal, can be mined whatsoever. Uh, we're going to go towards zero carbon, not just in net but virtually gross terms, and the economy has to go massively backwards. And uh, if we're lucky, we'll do it peaceably. If we won't, we'll do it by blowing the shit out of each other, which has been human history for the last 5,000 years. That's a very unappealing solution. One of the other solutions you were talking about harkens back to a war. What are corona bonds and how do, you, how do they work briefly? Well, the part, one of the reasons we've been so unprepared for this crisis is the myth that governments have to tax in order to spend. 
that's some print mentioning you've all got uh, uh, printing presses producing Australian dollars and unless the government taxes you, it won't have Australian dollars in its coffer. Lewis actually has a printing press printing Australian dollars and I always go to him to pick up a couple of extra. Yeah, well, I, that's I, a good I do. idea. Don't, I won't, don't tell anybody. Okay? Uh, but, I'm yeah, all 46 of our Patreon subscribers, uh, just under various <laughs> names using my, yeah. um, my little printing press. <laughs> the government has to spend before it can tax. That's the reality. Government should run a deficit. The whole idea that government on a surface is simply stupid, right. not understanding a monetary economy. So what's happening now is we, we, governments are trying to spend up big, and when they can do it, they could issue bonds that I call corona bonds uh, with zero interest rate real because what's the alternative? You lose your money in the stock market instead. Buy the buy, buy I mean, a half a billion dollars worth of bonds, say, in the, in the Australian case, and then spend that half billion dollar bonds giving people income that they wouldn't otherwise have because they've lost their wages. Yeah, universal they, basic income. Woo! Yeah. Get paid to make this podcast by the government. Yeah. <laughs> and one of the people I was corresponding on Twitter called it universal basic bailout as well because the whole crisis was caused by too much private debt. Right. Uh, that's been ignored by the mainstream. We could use this to pay down the debt, give everybody an equal bailout and reduce the, the power of the financial sector, which is what we desperately need to do, particularly in Australia. Speaking of printing cash, as of this week, 456,000 MyGov applications have been sent to the ATO to access super early, totaling yeah. $3.8 Should we even care about superannuation net right now? Like when is a good time to start caring about our own super again? I, I think it should never. The whole idea of, of ringing super was a nonsense idea from Paul Keating. Uh, it, wow. it, it was basically outsourcing the pension. We should yeah. never have abolished the pension. And the, the whole idea that your future should depend on what's happening in the stock market. I mean, I've had friends who lost 30% of this of the superannuation overnight when this crisis hit. Yeah. And the, the whole idea that you should be in your in your, in your, your dotage years and wondering whether you're going to lose 30% when you wake up in the morning, it's nonsense. So it was just outsourcing the pension. It should never have happened. And what it's actually done is basically fuel the, the stock market bubble and the property market bubble in Australia. So should we even care about it anymore? Like what what does no. what do <laughs> go back to pensions? Go back to pensions. What about if you were to, what about if you're not you, you're a, you're an individual not in the system? Like how do you deal with it? Well, I mean, if you were not not in the system, you get the pension. I mean, the wealthy get super. I, I had 1.2 million in super thanks to being an academic. Uh, a lot of my friends have got one tenth that much money. You know, it's it, it's biased in favour of the wealthy, as if the wealthy need more help from the state. But I think as well on the question of like, should we care about super? I think everyone should care about super just to know, one, that you have it, two, what it's doing, and three, who has the power to make laws and policy to change it and how that'll affect you? Because right now I think for a lot of people, you know, in their 20s and 30s, they think super is this sort of mythical concept that just happens when you mm. retire. But it's actually just, it's it's very much alive, it's very much fluid, it's very much interchangeable, and it's in a lot of ways out of your hands. And so I just yeah. think that they they do need to recognise it for what it is, which is not a given, mm. you know. Actually, it's not yeah, a that's given. what I say. Yeah. Campaign for the pension to come back again because if you get 9% of your salary and you're earning 50000 that's a bit less than somebody getting 9% they're earning a million. Mm. Uh, it's biased in favour of the people who have got money in the first place. Mm. It's exactly the wrong way to run a social security system. Mm. Well, uh, thanks, Steve. That was uh, uh, insightful and, dare I say, uh, more depressing chat than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> As you, 
I'm a happy guy, but you know, I live in an unhappy world, so what can I do? <laughs> Say something bitchy about one more person. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think of Joseph Stiglitz? <laughs> yeah, get in there. Joe is a neoclassical winners of the uh, Swedish Bank Prize to, 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 to pull a con job over the Nobel family. Yeah, Joe's take that, Stiglitz. Bloke. You know, he's not a bad bloke. He actually wrote a great <laughs> book in, uh, in the... Um, 2000 called Globalisation and its Critics and he came out against globalisation largely in response to his own daughters attending the, the uh, protests in Seattle. So I have a lot more time to Joe than I have for Paul Krugman, for example. Bloody Krugman. We've talked about Krugman for hours on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, but, yeah, Joe, Joe's reasonable, but he still thinks inside the neoclassical envelope and that's an envelope that I think should be put in the mail and mailed off to somewhere like Venus <laughs> uh, and got rid of because it's an intellectual uh, disease that has led to the situation the global economy is in. And Joe and everybody else should be shipped off to another planet, which okay. might be more like the one they think they're on. All right, let's let's just quickly name some treasurers and hit us up with one word, Steve. <laughs> hit us up in one word, ready? Uh, Wayne Swan. Wayne did the right thing during the global financial crisis, <laughs> of pumping money into the economy, and he got cauterized by the by the uh, conservatives for it. Oh, just one word. Just one word, Steve. Just one word. Ready? Frydenberg. <laughs> okay. Frightened fuck. Oh, sorry, no, I can't use that word. Keating. Keating. Bleating. Hockey. Stick. And the, I, I, I've read out treasurers. <laughs> That's about all you need. I'd, I'd, I'd use the hockey stick on Keating. Very good. Well, Steve, well, the coronavirus has sent everyone a bit batshit crazy, but one guy who knew it was fake all along was Alan Jones. You're listening to the Alan Jones Breakfast Show right across Australia. Good morning, everyone. I'm in a good mood because I've won the ratings and it's all due to you for listening to me during this so-called novel coronavirus crisis, or as I like to call it, fake luenza. It's not happening. Well, it certainly hasn't reached me at my studio at my secret location at Fitzroy Falls that only my butler knows about. Ah, ah. Today, we have had the lowest number of cases of fake luenza. Four, that's right, four new cases. Even if you're a blood relative of David Boone, you can count them on one hand. One, two, three, four. Ah! Now, for the last month, I've been socially distancing myself from Sydney at my Southern Highlands studio, not because of COVID-19, but because the rugby league isn't on. And what's the point of being in Sydney if there's no NRL? And there's no NRL because of COVID-19. And there's COVID-19 because of bats. Now, as far as my logic goes, if we want to play NRL, we need to get rid of bats. But we can't, can we? No, because they're a protected species. I've said it once and I'll say it again. The only protective species in this country worth saving are wallabies. And I'm not talking about the marsupials. I'm talking about rugby players. There's only a few born every year. We must protect them to beat those all blacks. Now, let me ask you this. Why are bats a protected species and human beings aren't? How come it's illegal to catch and kill a bat, but you can catch a human and put them in a chaff bag and throw them into the sea? Why? Let me tell you something. If you ask me, in the battle between humans and flying foxes, bats win. The only way we can beat bats is through the overdevelopment of rainforest and eventually replacing enough habitat with apartments that they'll have no choice but to make themselves extinct. And they can take the fruits and the flowers that they pollinate with them. If it's not on the menu at Aria, who needs it? And speaking of protected species, has anyone here heard from Anthony Collier lately? <laughs> I have. We did a Zoom dinner party with him and Tim the other night and oh, oh God, what a voice. <laughs> I'm Alan Jones. 2GB873. It's always good to hear from Alan. <laughs> <laughs> Delightful. <laughs> I've not heard. 
<laughs> a peep from Anthony Kalia through this whole virus. Is he okay? <laughs> I think I, him and Tim Campbell, his partner, are, uh, are having a great time on Twitter. You should you should follow them. They're they're hilarious no, on Twitter. That's fine. Thank you. <laughs> are they actually friends with Alan Jones? Because I feel like they would be. I don't know. Well, I think Anthony Kalia has done musical theatre with Alan Jones in the past. Alan Jones has done musical theatre. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you not seen that? Oh my god, yeah. I saw um, Alan Jones in a um, in Annie, and it is quite quite honestly one of the most <laughs> perplexing things I've ever seen in my life. Well, pivoting right now, we are very lucky to be joined by Prue Blake, who has come in to do five minutes of her cancelled Melbourne Comedy Festival show. Welcome to Irrational Fear, Prue. Hey. How you doing, Prue? Yeah, I'm doing all right. I made my boyfriend buy me a free beer, so I feel like I'm still getting paid to perform. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. Get stuck into the rider. <laughs> You're welcome, Prue. You're absolutely welcome. Take it away. Yeah. Well, I feel like this whole situation has put a bit of a cramp in my hobbies. Um, so for the whole first half of this year, I've kind of been focused on having strong environmental values. Um, and the problem is... Uh, it's hard to have strong environmental values and not also be a bit of a, like, judgy little prick about it. Um, <laughs> I'll give you an example. The other day my mum, she sent me a video and it was of my cousin's eldest child announcing they were pregnant with a third baby. And my only response was three is a bit environmentally irresponsible, isn't it? <laughs> Can you have three in this day and age? No, you can have one. Of course, accidents happen. You can have two because you don't want the first one to fucking suck. But to have three. <laughs> and my mum had the gall, and I mean the absolute gall, to tell me that I, this wasn't my strong moral superiority talking, but maybe it was just a jealousy, which is... Crazy, right? Because she doesn't even know I've taken the morning after pills so many times that these eggs are totally fried, <laughs> all scrambled up in here. Isn't <laughs> a baby coming out? <laughs> but I'm not always up on my high horse. Um, I can't be anymore because last year I went to Canada on holiday. I went to the same ice cream place every day for a week. And it wasn't until the end of that week that the woman working there took me aside and she said, actually, love, I've just got to tell you, eh, um, it's pronounced dulce de leche. And I, I'd, I've been asking for a scoop of douche de luge <laughs> <laughs> for a whole week. <laughs> One douche de luge, please. <laughs> she waited a week to tell me this. And I can only imagine that now there's like a picture of me up on the wall that says douche of the week. And if you order it that way, maybe some sirens go off like douche, 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 douche. <laughs> and maybe some sprinkles shoot out at you. <laughs> but I do do comedy um, more seriously because I, I have mummy issues. Um, it's normally pretty common in the stand-up biz. Um, when I was growing up, my mum's go-to saying was, I'm not your friend, I'm your mother, which was quite mean, right? It was actually meaner than the kids bullying me at the time that I wanted to talk to her about. <laughs> it wasn't as cool as my dad saying, which was, fuck them all big and small. Oh, <laughs> he didn't like it so much when I took that literally in my later teen years. Uh, I stand by it, Dad. Yeah, fuck them all, baby. <laughs> my mum, she'd say, I'm not your friend, I'm your mother, all through my teen years, all through my early 20s. And now I'm in my late 20s and I've got my own thing going on. Guess who comes crawling back wanting to be mates with me? Bloody mum, ain't it? <laughs> 
too late, mum. You had your chance. <laughs> I've got my own friends now. <laughs> Gran. <laughs> my Gran is my best friend, um, mostly because she gives really good dating advice. Um, she told me that the reason I was probably having trouble finding someone is that the person for me hadn't aged into the market yet. <laughs> No matter what you do, marry someone younger than you, Prue, so they have to watch you die. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was good advice personally Um, and I've I've done it. I've got myself a 22-year-old boyfriend, which is pretty good. (laughs) There is a bit of a trick to it though because most 22-year-olds are awful human beings. Um, So what I do is I just take a 22-year-old from the wild and I lock them in a cage and I just force feed them every bit of pop culture I need them to know for us to relate (laughs) to any whatsoever. Every so often I do go check on the cage and I go stick your finger out through the bars and they look (laughs) at me like this with their horny little 22-year-old eyes. (laughs) I go, not fat enough yet. (laughs) Another season of Broad City and you'll be fully cooked. (laughs) Then, you know, a few weeks later I've released them. It's not really working out and I I do have to break up with them. Um, And a male comedian is born. That's um, (laughs) where they all come from. I've shared the tip around so it's not just me producing them now. But I, I do make sure to tell them before they go that I am definitely not their friend, but they, they can call me mummy if they want. You <laughs> <laughs> know, it's the only chance I'm going to get. <laughs> That's everything from me. Yay! Thank you, Prue. That was absolutely delightful. Do you have anything to plug, Prue? Oh, no, but if you follow me on Privilege Comedy on Facebook or Twitter, there'll be heaps of exciting stuff there soon, I'm Pr- sure. Prue Blake, uh, coming out with a brand new podcast, is Jan Fran. Tell us a little bit about The Briefing. Oh, yes, The Briefing, mate. It's the only podcast you need, frankly. <laughs> Headlines, a deep dive into a topic of the week that you didn't even know you were interested in. A great team of people, myself, Tom Tilly, Tom Tilly Annika Smithhurst. Jamila Risby. I mean, honestly, if you had to decide who you loved more in that team, you couldn't. Although, <laughs> try, Dan. Yeah, Jamila. She's pretty good, isn't she? Oh! Yeah, she's <laughs> Jamila's very clever, isn't she? I really like Jamila. <laughs> Kathy Wilcox, you can see her work pretty much on Twitter, but also in the pages of the City Morning Herald, which is like the internet, but printed out. Yeah, it's all printed out. Some people are surprised to see that I that, that I work there, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of people are surprised that anybody works there anymore. <laughs> Thank you so much, Kathy. And Steve Keane, you've got things to plug. Well, my Patreon page, which is, uh, I have hastened to, it's not just plugging, that's where I put my stuff up for free. Uh, 99% of my posts are free. The other stuff that's not uh, charged, not free access to the podcast, because people want my contrarian ideas out there. They enjoy being depressed, I suppose. Steve, you were absolutely delightful tonight. It was really, really fun to have you. And uh, Lewis, have you got anything to plug? No. Nothing. <laughs> I've got nothing to plug either, except for Irrational Fear's Patreon. Hit, it, hit us up at patreon.com forward slash Irrational Fear. There's always something to be scared of. Good night. Good night.